Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a newer attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, Can you keep a secret? Keep a, keep a secret. knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. Let's talk about the recent disappearance and death of Sarah Everard. According to an article on BBC News dated the 12th of March 2021, it says a body was found by police in Woodland on Wednesday and it has been confirmed as being that of Sarah Everett. The 33-year-old marketing executive disappeared as she walked home in South London last week. A serving Met police officer remains in custody having been held on suspicion of Miss Everett's kidnap and murder. According to what is shared here, Miss Everard was last seen on the 3rd of March walking alone down a main road in Clapham at 21.30, with police saying it was unclear whether she reached her home in Brixton. According to this article, it says that when she disappeared, her body was eventually discovered on Wednesday, secreted in woodlands in Kent. It goes on and continues by sharing that the police officer who was arrested on suspicion of her kidnap and murder is in his 40s and works with the Metropolitan's Parliamentary and Diplomatic Protection Command. He was taken to hospital on Thursday suffering from head injuries he sustained while alone in his cell. It also goes on to say a woman in her 30s who was arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender has been released on bail until mid-April. The disappearance timeline goes as follows. On the 3rd of March, Sarah Everard vanishes after leaving a friend's house on Leeworth Road, Battersea, about 21 o'clock. On the 5th of March, police say they are increasingly concerned and they make an appeal on Twitter. On March 6, her family, who are from York, say her disappearance is totally out of character. March 7, footage taken from a doorbell camera shows Miss Everett walking alone along the A205 Ponder Road towards Tulse Hill at 21.30. On the 8th of March, more than 120 calls are made from the public on the case and more than 750 homes are visited as part of the investigation. On the 9th of March, a servant officer is arrested in Kent with a woman who was held on suspicion of assisting an offender. The 10th of March, Metropolitan Police Assistant Commissioner Nick Epgrave describes the arrest as shocking and deeply disturbing. 
What we can see from here is that Sarah Evard was on her way home from spending time with a friend. And according to the information that is given, she is not able to reach her destination safely when her life is cut short. As a result of Sarah Evard's disappearance and subsequent death, a lot of women are now talking about their safety, about how they feel in fear for their lives when they go out and about in the dark hours. In fact, I've seen articles on social media where women have spoken about the precautions that they take when they go home, having their keys in their hand, having their phone out, not having music in their areas, not parking in a dark area. And I saw something similar where a man or men were posting that they never have to follow such precautions. It is very sad that the life of Sarah was taken. We cannot sit and justify that whatsoever. Her life was cut short at the hands of a disgraced police officer who was assisted by a female. We have to appreciate that this does not speak for the Metropolitan Police in the United Kingdom. It speaks for this specific individual. We do not know the circumstances surrounding her death. We do not know yet what the results of the autopsy will say, whether there was indeed sexual assault, a sexual offense had been committed. However, what I will say is that the fear that is across the UK at present is that of women going home alone, being out after dark. I would say that compared to other places in the, in the UK, compared to other parts of the world, London is relatively safe. We have security cameras. The streets tend to be well lit. The UK, London specifically, is very diverse. And we have a great system in place. We do have corruption existing in the UK. It exists everywhere. But I would say that in my country, in England, justice will indeed be served, provided there is sufficient evidence, provided that that evidence is presented, it is looked through painstakingly, we do know that justice will be served. However, justice may not always be served in the way in which we may desire or the way in which we may like. And we do not fortunately have a vigilante society or community, which is something that I hear a lot about in the U.S. Having, for example, a sex offenders register only serves so much purpose. We can see from the information I've just shared that this police officer, he had a great responsibility in the particular division and department he was working in. However, he had a murderous intent when it came to Sarah on that fateful night. What led him to do what he did? Does he have any type of psychotic or mental issues that led him to take her life? All of these are questions that remain unanswered. It is very sad what has happened and it's sadder still that so many women are expressing fear of what could happen to them. So many women are expressing what has happened to them. And it is amazing that people are now speaking up that this is almost like a Me Too movement but in relation to the safety of women. What I can say is that my hope is that Sarah's death is not in vain and that things will change. What I believe would keep and protect a female is for her to be chaperoned at all times. But realistically, is that always possible? What about carpooling? And when I say chaperoned, two females can indeed fall into the hands of an unscrupulous individuals. So maybe two females is not the best idea, but being with a group of people or being with a male who is built well enough and strong enough to be able to defend you. In a place like Trinidad and Tobago, 
There is talks about pepper spray, about weapons, about having access to guns. Is this really the solution? Will things really get to that point where women need to protect themselves by having pepper spray or having a weapon? Because we have to appreciate that that can be taken away from you and used against yourself. Even a personal alarm. How does a personal alarm truly protect and help you when nobody comes to your rescue? That is the problem. I believe we need to become a society of people where we are not just our brother's keeper, but we are our neighbor's keeper. Somebody said that quite recently, and I truly agree with that point. When we are our brother's keeper, those are people close to home, family members. Your neighbor's keeper, who is your neighbor? That is absolutely everybody. The person on the bus, the person next door, the person in the shop, the person across the road. In New York, in subway stations, there are posters. If you see something, say something. We need to appreciate and understand that it is no good to see and to say nothing. No good to see and be troubled or disturbed, but to actually take the necessary precautions. Even recently, I saw something else on Facebook about how men can protect women when they see that they are being spoken to by somebody they're not comfortable, another man, by going up to that man, hugging him and saying, hi, I thought you were my cousin. By engaging in unwanted conversation with the man, enabling that woman to be able to escape or to leave, rather than engaging in a conversation with the three of them, have a conversation directly with the guy, sustaining eye contact, and by doing so, you're enabling that female to have a means of escape. However, when we think about the current times we're in and social distancing, touching another person, hugging another person, may not be deemed appropriate, acceptable, and may cause the situation to actually escalate. But what I think is a great concept and idea is for you to engage with that man. Because what they're saying is you are giving this man unwanted attention. Say to him, for example, my phone isn't working. Can I borrow your phone? I like your bed. I like your hairstyle. I like your shirt. Finding a way to interact with this man, to engage in conversation with him. Because by doing so, think about it. What you're doing is you're enabling that lady, that woman, that female to leave. But you're also putting that guy into her shoes. You're giving him a dose of his own medicine and you're doing it in a way that is not criminal, illegal or immoral. It's actually him experiencing what this female has experienced. Now with women, we know that we are often wired where we're on high alert and there is that fear, that concern of God forbid being abused, of being raped, of going through something traumatic against our person, being robbed, being burglarized in your own home. And so unfortunately, women tend to have a lot of fear in their minds. They're afraid of the what ifs. I even heard of a case of a girl. She was a chef in the UK. And she was seen on video camera leaving the grocery store. However, she never returned home. In fact, she was murdered by her neighbor. And when we hear things like that, that creates fear. Even recently, I heard of a case of a girl in Canada, 25 years of age. Her and her boyfriend were home together. And her boyfriend leaves late that night, maybe around 11.30. And the next morning, he doesn't hear from his girlfriend. She doesn't turn up at work. He phones the police. Now, immediately the suspicion is on him. Even I believed it was him because the police even said, why would he call the police straight away? Why not call family members? Eventually, it did come out that he was completely innocent. And sorry to say, it was her 31-year-old neighbor. She was 25, I believe, and he was 31 or something along those lines. The age gap was quite small. 
and he claimed that she spoke to him disrespectfully and he attacked her. However, the autopsy showed that she had been brutally attacked and it wouldn't have been an attack where he was simply retaliating to whatever she had allegedly said. They believed that there was a sexual motivation behind the way in which he had attacked this young lady. Her life was stolen from her and that was very, very sad. We hear about this kind of thing all the time where a person's life is taken by somebody that you know. But in the case of Sarah in the UK, it is indeed possible she did not know this person. It is indeed possible that he simply saw her vulnerability. When we hear about vulnerability and we think about human trafficking, we often think the word poverty. We think not having sufficient finances, not having a stable abode, without appreciating that vulnerability is not limited to just poverty. Vulnerability goes so much further than that. This young lady, Sarah, is walking home. It is dark. She is alone. That straight away was a vulnerability. In the same way, being female in certain South Asian countries makes you vulnerable. Being from the LGBTQ community, having a disability, being a refugee, being an immigrant. Any of those things can indeed make you vulnerable. And that is what we need to realize and appreciate. It is not about having paranoia, but it's about taking appropriate steps to protect yourself. It is not saying women should not go out at night. Obviously not. We are entitled to have freedom of movement. However, I believe the real issue here is we need to deal with the root, which is the behavior of men and boys. Instead of telling your women and girls to not go out late, to not dress a certain way, that is not the way to solve this problem. The way to solve the problem is, in fact, to deal with the issue, which is the behavior of men, the way in which they show respect or lack of respect to women and girls. Think about it. When you raise your son, you are not raising him to be a rapist. You're raising him to be a person who respects females and women. However, does your son respect females and women? What does he see in the household? How does he see your husband, partner, spouse treat you? How does he see the men in your life treat you? Because unfortunately, often we emulate what we see. It's not so much do as I say and not as I do. We emulate what we see. It is not always intentional. And I'm not justifying, but I want us to understand when you choose to stay in a relationship. And choice is not a word that I can really use lightly here because I don't feel it is choice when you stay. But when you choose, loose term, to stay in an abusive relationship, you are teaching your son that it is okay to lay his hands on a female. And that is one thing we have to realize without using words, your inaction, your omission, your failure to act speaks volumes. And so we have to consider, as the Bible says, train your children the way they should go. And when they get older, they will not depart. This is what you need to do. You need to implement, you need to train your son how to treat women, how to treat girls. And you need to talk to your daughters. There is an equal balance. We cannot put all the responsibility on the boy. The responsibility needs to be shared evenly on the girl and on the boy. Teach them how to treat and respect one another. Because we know that there are boys who do experience violence perpetrated not by another boy or a man, but by a female. So we need to teach girls to not speak with their fists. And boys not to speak with their fists either. It works hand in hand. We need to teach girls and women how to show respect to boys and men. The way in which a girl speaks to him. 
Biblically, we know that the man is the head. But even so, despite saying that, we need to appreciate and understand that when an individual is spoken to in a disrespectful tone or fashion, that may trigger them. That may lead them, cause them to respond and react in a way that is not positive, conducive, but is in fact harmful. It is not about justifying. Because at the end of the day, we are accountable for our actions and inactions. But we need to appreciate and look at the situation and say wholeheartedly, what I'm seeing, what I'm perceiving, have I done anything? Have I caused or allowed that to take place in any shape or form? Have I been an instrument? Have I hindered? Have I harbored? Or have I instead actually been able to do things in a way that is positive, that has a impact and an influence that is fruitful? Because we have to appreciate sometimes what we do, it is not fruitful. It is indeed negative. It is indeed harmful. Does that mean that we are responsible for the actions or inactions of another? Of course not. Because there's a post on Facebook by a guy in prison and he says, the reason I'm in prison is because my mother failed to discipline me when I stole. My mother failed to discipline me when I was naughty in school. My mother defended my inactions. My mother defended my bad behaviors. What he says has an element of truth. However, he is an adult and he has to accept responsibility for every choice and decision that he makes. Yes, his mother failed to discipline him, but there is a time when we have responsibility. In law, it is the age of responsibility. Under that age, you will not be arrested, charged, convicted, imprisoned for your crime because you are below the age of understanding right from wrong. Once you reach that age, according to law in your country, you are responsible. In the same way, although you may have been raised by a mother who spoiled you, who did not discipline you, at the same time, you have to appreciate and understand that that is not how it works. You've got to see the bigger picture. You've got to understand it completely differently from how it is. In the sense of, you see a situation, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you respond by applauding your son's behavior, applauding your daughter's behavior? Do you respond by protecting that child from the repercussions of the mistakes that they have made? Or do you in fact side with the authorities and say, yes, my son stole, my daughter stole? That is what we need to do. When we can actually take responsibility for the wrongs that our children are doing, take responsibility by disciplining appropriately, when we can do that, the dynamics will then change. In the same way, you have to consider that whether or not your parents take responsibility by disciplining you when you have committed a crime, done something wrong, you have failed to adhere to authority. When you later on go down that path that is destructive and end up in prison, you cannot come back and place the responsibility of your demise on your parents because you are a human being, you are an adult. Therefore, you know right from wrong. Ignorance is not a defense. Just because you do not know something as a crime does not act as a defense. You are responsible for your very own actions and that is what you need to appreciate. Accountability. It starts with you. We may sit and feel we are accountable to nobody and maybe that is how you feel, but that is not the reality in the world. We are accountable. There are laws we have to abide by and failure to abide by those laws, there will be repercussions. This police officer was a law enforcer. He is somebody that one would expect that they can seek support, safety, that a person can be a protector. But instead of being a protector, he took a life. 
And how do we not know that this is not the first life he has taken? When somebody's life is taken innocently, I'm not referring to when you have been in an altercation and the person dies as a result of that punch or the thin skull rule, but a person who is minding their own business and you take that life away from them and you're in a position of enforcing law, in a position of protecting, what does that say about you? What does that say about the reason why you chose that profession? We will never truly understand why this police officer did what he did. Even if he speaks to us and communicates in court, he gives his version of events. Is that really the truth? Somebody who takes the innocent life of another without justification, how can we ever believe the words coming out of their mouth? We really can't. Because in fact, that person is somebody who is an unscrupulous individual, a person who does not abide by the laws of the land, a person who, do they truly have morals? Do they truly believe in being an upstanding individual? Police officers are always on the job. They cannot pick and choose. They are always on the job. Whether they have their uniform on or not, their obligation and responsibility is to be a law enforcer at all times. Unlike a lawyer, for example, a lawyer is able to protect their client because of attorney-client privilege. That means when certain questions are asked to the lawyer, the lawyer can refuse outright to disclose information. With police officers, it is completely different. Because of the nature of the work that they do, they cannot protect, if I could use the term, protect a criminal, whereas lawyers often do. We hear about it. Lawyers have attorney-client privilege. Even when we think about priests, for example, there is that privilege that exists between the priest and the parishioner. They're not able to speak out. Even when it comes to therapists, there is that obligation, the patient-client privilege. Therefore, the doctor, the therapist, the psychologist is not able to disclose. Think about those professions and think about the profession of a police officer. He cannot protect an individual who is a criminal. That would speak against his role and responsibility of being a law enforcer. He needs to enforce the law at all times. But a doctor, an attorney, there are privileges, a priest that protect that person. This police officer failed to do what his job is, failed to do what he has chosen as a vocation, what he has chosen as his life's ministry, to protect and to serve. That is what we hear in the U.S. He failed to protect. He failed to serve. Instead of safeguarding Sarah from an individual who may rape, assault, or attack her, he perpetrates the crime he should have been protecting her from. And when we hear this and we think about his profession as a law enforcer, that will surely create fear, not just in the UK, but outside of the UK. Who can we trust? When a law enforcer, when a police officer takes the innocent life of a female who was not out of place, who was innocently walking home, who can we trust? And the reality is we cannot trust anyone. That is not being said to build paranoia. Absolutely not. It is just simply a statement of fact. The Bible says trust no man. The Bible says the heart of man is despitefully wicked. People are people. We are individuals who have good. We are individuals who have bad. We are in a fallen sinful world. We are human beings. Some of us do the best of things. Some of us do the worst of things. Does that define us? No, it doesn't. 
because we do have the capacity to change. There are stories of individuals who go into prison and come out rehabilitated. There are others who go in and come out worse. Justice must be served in this case and justice will be served. The women of the UK, the women of London are in fear for their safety. This is a new movement. It is not the me too. It is that we are afraid. We are petrified. We don't want to walk at night. We don't want to be unattended when it's dark or when we're in a garage, when we're in a parking garage, when we're in a secluded place like an alleyway. We don't feel comfortable. We don't feel safe in our home country. We don't feel safe in our own neighborhood. When we hear things like this, it creates fear. But the Bible says we must not have a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. Take the necessary precautions. Have a chaperone if possible. Be accompanied by a friend, by a co-worker. Carpool. Let people know where you are. Be on the phone if needs be. Have your phone on loudspeaker or have one earpiece in and communicate as you walk home. Find ways that you can be empowered, that you can protect and safeguard yourself. Let us not allow the death of Sarah and her murder put us in fear of this happening to us, but let us instead be empowered to take the necessary precautions so that history will not repeat itself in our life. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe we all need knowledge and education. And when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another. And this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode. You see this road gets tough, gets cold, but still never lose that old you got.